All right, turn your Bibles to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's on page 902, because I don't want you to get lost flipping through pages. As you turn to John 16, I want to introduce you to a very important idea, the criticism sandwich. Now, some of you might be familiar with this, especially if you've ever done any management training uh, at your work. Some of you have maybe had to sit through a multi-hour explanation of what I'm going to describe in like a minute and a half. Yay, corporate America. There you go. Some of you are like, this is why I'm self-employed. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you about the criticism sandwich. Criticism sandwiches, you have something that is critical or could be deemed negative to say to someone, whether it's how they could be improved, something they did wrong, something of that nature. And the first step is you say something nice. Okay, that's the bread of the sandwich. You affirm them in some way, you compliment them, you say something good about what they've done. That's the first step. The second step is to communicate, not fire them, I heard that. <laughs> Though that could be done within a firing sandwich, but I digress. But the second step is to then communicate that idea or that criticism or that whatever, that corrective piece. And then, like any good sandwich, you follow it with another piece of affirmation that fills out the sandwich. So you've got affirmation, criticism, affirmation. You leave on a good note because, again... The idea is not to destroy the person with what you're saying, just they need to do something differently. Now, why do we do this? And why, as I said before, why have many of you sat through corporate lectures about eight hours explaining again what I did in about a minute and a half? Two reasons. Two main reasons. Number one, negative feedback or correction is difficult to hear. Right? Nobody wants to hear what they did wrong. Okay, we have a natural, we, we, our defenses come up quickly. We start saying, well, you did this. But secondly, what we'll call negative feedback or corrective feedback is necessary. Again, if you're in a business and someone is doing something incorrectly, it can cost you money. If you're in some businesses, if you're doing something incorrectly, it can cause physical harm to others. There are many reasons why, while it's difficult, it needs to be done. So the reason that I'm talking about this today is we're going to talk about necessary bad news in our text today. In our text today, Jesus is going to continue to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen this throughout this last section of John's Gospel. But what we're going to see today 
is that part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is criticism. Part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is negative feedback. Part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is showing us our guilt and what we've done wrong before a holy God. So today as we learn more about the Holy Spirit and his work in John chapter 16, we're going to see this big idea. It's in your bulletin if you're following along in the outline there. As the Holy Spirit convicts the hearts of unbelievers, he guides in the truth so that we can glorify God as gospel witnesses. So let's look there, point number one in your outline, convicting the world, beginning at verse 4. Chapter 16, verse 4, follow along as I read. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Again, chapter 16 in the larger context of the book of John are sort of Jesus' last words to his disciples before he is crucified on the cross, raises again, and then later will ascend back to the Father 40 days later. And he says to them, I I didn't tell you these things at the beginning because you weren't ready for them and because I was with you. Again, as we've seen Jesus talk about the Holy Spirit, a lot of the ministry of the Holy Spirit has to do with the fact that Jesus is not physically present on earth and therefore he sends the Spirit to indwell his followers. But as a part of this, and you can imagine, as we've talked about before, the disciples, the disciples are not happy with what Jesus is saying. He says to them, none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. There is a sadness that the disciples are experiencing because of Jesus' impending departure that causes them not to be excited about him leaving because what Jesus says is it's a good thing that I'm leaving. Look at verse 7. It is to your advantage that I go away. There is a, it's not a harsh rebuke, but there's this slight rebuke of, guys, you're not seeing the bigger picture. You're not understanding what's going on because if I leave, I am able to send the Holy Spirit, your helper, your comforter, your advocate. And there is a promise of the Spirit here to his disciples that that they should find joy in what is happening. Not joy because Jesus is leaving, but joy in the fact that they will receive the Spirit. And I want us to pause and think about that for our own lives, that the presence of the Spirit of God that indwells all believers is a source of joy. It is to our advantage that Jesus ascended back to the Father because he sent the Spirit to permanently indwell 
all who belong to him by faith. And we can understand that that as we live in this world, we have the Spirit with us and we are never alone. As we've seen before in talking about the Spirit, He empowers us to live a godly life and a godly witness in our world. He is with us always. And Jesus tells His disciples then and us today that we can have joy because of the Holy Spirit, because it is to our advantage that we can now be supported and led and guided by the very Spirit of God. But it's at this point, sort of the, the meat of the passage, part of that sandwich here. <laughs> so we had an affirmation. But now in verse 8, we get to the role of the Spirit, and it is a role of conviction. Now, when I say the word conviction, I'm not speaking of conviction in the sense of a strongly held belief, like I have a conviction that this is right. No, I'm talking about it in the sense of being convicted and found guilty. Okay, so I was convicted when I did something wrong, so then I went and I apologized for it, right? That's sort of convicting. I'm going to use that word that way for this sermon. So let's look at verses 8 to 11. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, as we look at this text, the primary focus of this is the work of conviction of the Spirit on those who do not trust in Christ. Okay, so that is the primary focus of this passage. But what we can see throughout this is that the work of the conviction of the Spirit of bringing us to faith but that work of conviction continues as we live out the life of faith. Let me give you an example. So when we talk about someone making that initial decision for Christ, we would say they've repented of their sins and placed their trust in Christ. But while that is the beginning of the Christian life, the rest of the Christian life continues trusting Christ. The rest of the Christian life continues repenting of sin when we do so. And so as we look at the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we see that this is a part of someone coming to faith, but it is also, once we have come to faith, there is a continual conviction of the Spirit in the life of the believer. So that being said, let's look at what Jesus says here. So three things. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So concerning sin. What does it mean for the Spirit to convict the world? The world here is unbelievers. Convict the world of sin. It involves showing the world its guilt of sin. It is demonstrating, exposing to a person that they are 
sinful before a holy God. You think of how many people, when asked about people, are they intrinsically good or intrinsically bad? Most people, especially in our culture, say people are, in general, good. Right? Well, the Bible is, is very clear that that's not true. But for someone to come to that understanding, Jesus tells us that's a work of the Spirit. Changing their heart and their mind to show them that they are, in fact, sinners. The truth of Romans 3, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We see in verse 9 that instead of listing a bunch of sins that people do, Jesus lists the primary sin, and that is rejection of him. Look at verse 9. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Now, this is related because if I'm not a sinner, then I'm not in trouble and I don't need to be saved from anything. And if I don't need to be saved from anything because I'm basically just a good guy, then why would I need a Savior? And if I don't need a Savior, why do I need Jesus? Do you see how that all connects? If there's no need... If I don't understand what sin is and how that separates me from a God who loves me and created me, that I cannot be in the presence of a holy God because of my sin, if that's not true, I don't need Jesus. And so what we see is that the need, that understanding the sin and the guilt connected with that sin is a work of the Holy Spirit. And again, this is, this continues for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ. That we need to be reminded by the Spirit who indwells us that this side of heaven, we continue in sin. And that there is a need for daily repentance and a daily confession of sin. of recognizing our need for forgiveness from God. And when you confess sin, what Jesus is telling you is that as a sign of the Spirit at work in you. That your ability to say, I was wrong, I've sinned against God and against men, that that is actually a sign that you have the Spirit of God living in you. Because let's be honest, we're really good at self-justifying. We're really good, not as excusing others. I mean, maybe if we like them. <laughs> well, I'm not that bad. But we need the conviction of the Spirit to speak that truth, that I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. Let's look at the next one, concerning righteousness. Verse 10, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. So what is the work of conviction concerning righteousness? 
And the big idea here is that we need conviction concerning righteousness because we think we're righteous and we need to be shown that we're not. Think of a passage like Isaiah chapter 64. We've all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. The Holy Spirit's ministry to the world includes shattering the belief that you are righteous apart from Christ. That again, we want to say, well, I'm a good person. I mean, at least I'm not that guy. And we're good at manipulating circumstances and our heart is deceitful above all else. And we're like, yeah, I am pretty good. <laughs> but the Spirit says, no. Again, back to Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. The work of the Spirit says, you are not righteous on your own. You need a righteousness from someone else. Again, Romans chapter 3 is helpful, verses 21 to 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, a righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Here's what the Holy Spirit tells you. You cannot live up to God's standard of holiness and righteousness. You can't be good enough. You can't earn God's favor. But someone else did. Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life. And when we repent of our sins and place our trust in him, the Bible tells us we are given, or nice theological word, imputed. That's a good one. Imputed his righteousness. so that the unrighteous is made righteous before God. Again, if you're a righteous person, if you've got all your merit badges, you don't need a Savior. But if you're not righteous, and God is righteous, then you need a Savior to make you righteous. Now again, how do we apply this to those of us who have placed our faith in Christ? Well, when you've been a believer for a long time, you're pretty good at it. You know what to say. You know what to do, at least in public. You know what to hide. It's pretty easy, especially for those of us who've grown up in church, pretty easy to think we're pretty hot stuff. And so the work of the Holy Spirit says, you can follow the rules. You can put on a good show even. You're a pretty nice guy. But you're not righteous. And any righteousness you have is not yours, but is from Jesus. Jesus. Do you see the continual work 
humbling of the conviction of the Holy Spirit that keeps us from this pride of self-righteousness which will ruin our faith. So we see how the conviction about righteousness will help bring someone to faith, but also how the Holy Spirit continues to work on us. Again, there's no arriving in the Christian life this side of heaven. Some of you are pretty great, but you're not done yet. And God, as long as you have breath, God is still conforming and transforming you to be like his son. And a part of that is the work of the Spirit saying, you are not done. You are still a sinner in need of the righteousness of Jesus. Thirdly, So we've seen concerning sin and concerning righteousness. Thirdly, we get to verse 11, concerning judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged. I want to use a simple illustration to begin talking about this. A couple years ago, Darcy and I were at a Seahawks game. And they were fun seats, but, uh, but they were pretty high up. We were with the, the normal people, okay, the hoi polloi up there. But one of the things I enjoyed doing was any time the Seahawks got penalized, I would boo. Okay, there's just something fun about yelling at people when something goes against your team. Now, I did not care whether I was right or not. I mean, you see this blatant foul, and you're still like, boo! Now imagine, I thought that I could be the ref from where I was. There's a faulty picture of judgment there, of where my view of things does not matter on what is right or wrong, it's what is best for my team. And from where I was sitting, I was not exactly in a place where I could actually make a call on the details of the game. This is like our own fallen judgment. And especially for those who have not repented and placed their faith in Christ. The person who is not born again does not judge correctly because their judgment does not match the judgment of Jesus. Look at verse 11. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The evidence that the world's judgment is not correct, is that Satan, here described as their ruler, has been judged by God. And so if their ruler cannot get the right judgment, so the logic goes, if their ruler cannot get the right judgment, they will not get the judgment. But it also shows who the ruler is. 
The person who is not born again is not the, is not the judge. The true judge is God himself. And that is clear from God's word, other parts of God's word, that all people ultimately must answer to the judgment of God. Think about how we judge ourselves. We had a nice curve in, like again, well, at least I'm not that guy. (laughs) Or we just sort of put things under the rug. Like, I'm going to give myself a mulligan on this one. (laughs) But what the Bible says, and what the Spirit's ministry is, is to say, you must answer to the true judge. You must stand one day before God himself, who is perfect and just. Again, if if there's no guilt, and if we're good enough people, then why would there be judgment? And if there was, if it's sort of just on being good enough and we're, we're decent folk, then we'd, we'd be found not guilty. But what the Spirit says is this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Spirit says no one is righteous, not one. And therefore, apart from the forgiveness and righteousness of Jesus Christ, we will all be found guilty. And if I am under threat of being found guilty, there is my need for Jesus. Because he alone can make me innocent. If sin is real, if we are not righteous, and if judgment is real, the Spirit says, then you must repent and believe in Jesus. This is the work of the Spirit. And again, as as we've seen, this is a work that, that brings someone to faith, but also sustains us in our life of faith. That when we sin, we we know that we have sinned against God and face judgment for that. I want to quickly move on to verses 12 and 15 because Jesus is continuing to talk about the Spirit. And here, he talks about the leadership of the Spirit. So we've moved from the conviction of unbelievers to to how do we engage in a world of unbelievers? How do we reach out to those who, who are hearing the conviction of the Spirit? And the answer is that the Holy Spirit guides us in all truth. Let's look at verses 12 to 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, 
and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare to you. Related to verses 8 to 11, what we see here is that we are one of two normal vessels of this truth that Jesus has just been talking about. There are two normal vessels that the Bible talks about for the conviction of the Spirit about people's sin and righteousness and judgment. And the two normal ways of that is God's Word. And we've heard stories, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard a story of someone sitting down and reading and and finally understanding what it means. And that's the work of the Spirit. And through reading God's Word in the Bible that someone is brought to a conviction of their sin and their need for their Savior. But the other normal means of this truth is us, as Spirit-empowered witnesses of Jesus, that we are called to go into our world with this news that people need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now what truth have we just been talking about? The truth of sin, the truth of our unrighteousness, and the truth of judgment. And so we are spirit-empowered vessels of this truth. That this must be part of our message to a lost world, their need for a Savior. And just like I said in the intro of the reason we have things like criticism sandwiches is because people don't want to hear that they're sinners in need of salvation. They don't want to hear that apart from Christ they face judgment and condemnation. But we are guided in that truth by the Holy Spirit. Let me close with a couple applications for us this morning. Number one, it is essential for a person to understand their guilt before God if they are to become followers of Jesus. Before placing your trust in Christ, there must be at least the beginning of an understanding of sin and guilt. Because as we've shown today, if there's no sin, if we're righteous, if there's no judgment, then why do we need a Savior? The answer is you don't. And so we must include, when we are talking to someone about Jesus, we must include at least the beginning of an understanding of sin. I fear that I fear that we are afraid of this part because it's not popular. Now, there are many sermons on how to share that without being a jerk. That's another sermon for another time. 
but we need to lovingly share people their need for a Savior so that we can then share the Savior with them. And I worry that we want to share the good news of the gospel without sharing the reason for the good news of the gospel. The reason is gospel is good news is because of the reality of the bad news. <laughs> and so we must share both. Number two, we rely on the work of the Holy Spirit to change people's hearts. The Bible is clear that changing someone's heart is not in your job description. Your job description is to be a witness of the truth. And there's a weight that we can be lifted. It's not, if I only find the right way. You know, it's not X plus Y equals Z. It's not a formula. And you're not the Holy Spirit. So stay away from His work. <laughs> but, the flip side is then true. The Holy Spirit will change hearts that you didn't think could be changed because you're not the Holy Spirit. And so it both humbles us to say what is my job and what is not my job, but it also encourages us because we know the Spirit of God is at work. And finally, the normal means of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in convicting and telling the truth are the Bible, God's written word, and us. The Holy Spirit inspired the authors of Scripture and will use written Scripture to bring conviction into our hearts. But it's very clear from this text that we are called to be witnesses to that truth in our community. That being Spirit-guided witnesses to speak the truth for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of the Spirit. That if we have come to faith, it is because the Spirit has worked in our hearts and brought us to an understanding of our sin and our need for Jesus. And God, we thank you that we have the Spirit empowering our witness to a world that needs you. And that your Spirit goes before us before we've even said a word and ministers to those who would believe that we would rely on his work, that we would see that no one is too far for him and that we would boldly go with the good news of Jesus Christ, that sinners can be forgiven, that the unrighteous can be made righteous, and that through the righteousness of Jesus, we can be found innocent before the judgment of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.